Thank you for joining us today for the podcast ministry of Unity Point Church. We're located at 124 Amerson Street in Anniston, Alabama. We hope that you'll join us very soon and be a part of our fellowship. We'd love to have you. Our three core values are Christ, community, and connections, and we try to find all three every time we come together. We believe that you're going to be both blessed and challenged by the message today, so let's dive right in. We're going to pick up on Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to be starting with verse 4 today. And we're actually going to get all of four and all, or all of uh, the remainder of chapter one and chapter two, believe it or not. So I'm going to go like the wind and um, and get through this because I really do believe by the time we get to the latter half of this, um, it's just so 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 powerful. So uh, so we're going to dive into this uh, Christ greater than anything else. Um, picking up the rest of as we work through Hebrews. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. God, I thank you for your spirit and for your presence that is here today. God, I thank you that you let us. I, I know your Bible says that, that you never leave us nor forsake us. So it's not like that we can say, well, you know, man, God's presence was at church today. Well, God's, your presence is always at church with us, but God, I thank you for allowing us to be sensitive enough today to uh, to recognize your presence being here. And God, I pray that you will help us to gain from your word today what you have intended, because your word is powerful. When it goes out, it will accomplish the work that it's sent to do. And so, God, we give you all the praise and all the glory. We just believe and pray this in Jesus' name. And the church together said. Amen, amen, amen. All right, so Hebrews chapter 1, um, we're going to pick up here with verse 4 in, in just a moment. Um, so here's what this says. So we read last week about how the God at various times and various ways spoke uh, to the fathers by the prophets, but now he's spoken through his son. So now we get down to verse 4, and, and uh, actually we need to pick up verse 3 just so we have it. Speaking of Jesus, it says, "...who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high." And verse 4 says, "...having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they." For to which of the angels did he, this is God, ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, at the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail." But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? 
Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted." The author was concerned that people would falter in their faith. That's a little bit of what he's going to touch on. In a time where sufferings and persecution was expected, there was also an expectation that some would likely renounce the faith, that they would step back from that. So the author is drawing the attention back to the simplistic yet powerful truths that form the foundation of Christianity. I was reading, uh, I have an old set of commentaries. I got commentaries all over, but, you know, but one that I really like, I stumbled up on a whole set of all places down at Second and Charles back about two years ago. It's called the Interpreter's Bible. It was published in 1955, and this is what it said about this particular passage. It said, hardships are unpleasant. Now, you, you keep in mind, 1955. Hardships are unpleasant, and our love of ease is answered by the many gadgets that cushion us against the shocks of pain. People are afraid of standing alone and dislike being isolated from their neighbors. 
This fear is made respectable because peculiarity and isolation for any reason are now regarded as pathological. The very culture in which we live is built on the assumption that God is not relevant if indeed He exists at all. The writer of Hebrews understood that people had to be grounded in those most elemental truths of Scripture, the most elemental understandings of their beliefs in order to stand against cultural pressure. Now, if we understand God to really be God, then we've got to recognize that He contains all the answers to all the mysteries. His very being constitutes truth. So when He speaks and we reject how He speaks or what He says, then we are admitting that we don't really think of Him as God. Did you catch that? If, if He is who He says He is, then He is the essence of truth. He is the answer to all the mysteries. And so when we reject how He speaks or what He says, then we're admitting, I really don't believe that He's really God. Because I don't like what He said, or I don't like how He said it, or I don't like what He's calling me to do. So therefore, I'm going to decide... See, if you don't like something that God says, what it really is saying is you're saying that my opinion is just as valid as God's opinion is. And that's not saying you won't have some situations where you read God's Word or, or, or you, you hear God's Word found and you go, man, I don't like that. Okay, that's all right. That's okay. In fact, I would say if you are just answering to everything and going, oh, yeah, that's so great and wonderful, then we all know you're not really examining your own life, <laughs> right? Because the truth is none of us are there to the point where that there is nothing in God's Word that's going to cut against the grain with us. That there's not something in God's Word that's going to correct us, that's going to tell us, hey, you need to change something. You need to grow. You need to move further down the path. That's always going to be there. If it ever stops being there, you might want to question yourself. Yeah. Seriously, because you may be convincing yourself that, that you're all good on that, and you may not be evaluating well of what's really going on in your life. Here's a thought for you. This is a freebie. Who can answer who God is other than God himself? It's, it's ironic to me that, that people will say a lot of stuff like, well, I just can't imagine that God is like this. Or I just can't believe that God is like this. Well, well God's already spoken. God's already laid out who he is. So you, you, can, you can feel like you don't, I don't believe that's what God could be. Well, I mean, who gets to decide who God is other than God? And he has said, here's who I am. So there's a couple of things that we're going to see in this passage. So verses 4 through 14 are an affirmation. They're an affirmation. And what they affirm is that Christ is greater than the angels. Now you go, I don't, I don't understand why is this such a big deal. Well, if you go back about 10, maybe 12 years, it was a big deal. Christianity was starting to have a wacko problem. Right? Just, we were having a wacko problem because people were all getting into this angel stuff. They were all hung up about guardian angels and, and man, I need to have this. And, and is my guardian angel, you would see bumper stickers, you know, don't drive faster than your guardian angel can fly. I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> right? You know, like you're really thinking that your Hugo can outrun an angel. 
to begin with, right? First, right, you know, don't, don't go faster than what you're, man, really? Really? You know? And people got all into, there were people buying books and they were studying stuff. And I'm going, man, you need to know more about Jesus. I, I mean, it's great that he's got angels and they're ministering and, and all that stuff. But, you know, that's, that's just, that's, it's like seeing a big old house and you're just worried about, well, come on, what kind of nails they used. Right? Does it matter? You know, and this is it, you know, I wonder if it, I wonder where they bought those nails. You're missing the house. You're missing the picture. Right? Hopefully you're not one of those folks that, uh, that when somebody shows you a picture, you spot everything that's wrong. You know, like, you're like one of those, you know, where's Waldo kind of people, right? You know, you can find him in a hurry, you know, in the thing. But, you know, because you get so zoned in on this that you miss the big picture of what's going on. Well, here's, here's the thing. So we had, you know, that probably in the faith community 10, 15 years ago, you had a lot of people getting hung up about, I mean, books were flying off the shelves. Everybody was hung up about it. People were saying there was, you know, there were angel feathers falling out of the sky in church services and all this stuff. I, you know. Um, well, they had a problem back here, too, because the angels were a big part of, of some of the Jewish um, traditions and stuff. And so the writer knew that, that there was a, an issue of people believing that, that angels and Jesus were kind of on par with one another. And uh, we've gone through, I'd have to find which, which uh, sermon is, it's on one of the podcasts, but we went through this whole thing about the, the um, explaining some of the belief system about copies and things like that, that, that um, the Bible just clearly uh, helps eradicate for people that angels are not on, on par with who uh, Christ is. Uh, angels are a created being. And uh, so, so verses 4 through 14, what you see is a couple of things that are, that are laid out. Number one, that Jesus was proclaimed as the Son with God as the Father. Then we see that then it describes that the angels were directed to worship Jesus. Jesus was never directed to worship the angels, right? So Jesus was given a throne or a position of royalty, but angels were described as being ministering spirits, not royalty, Jesus was the Son of God. You go, wait a minute. I think I remember somewhere in the Old Testament or something that angels sometimes would be referred to as sons of God. You are absolutely correct. And it's little s, little s sons, and never as an individual described as the Son. The role of angels was to minister to those who would inherit salvation. It was not to become joint heirs with Christ um, as we're given the opportunity to do when we choose to accept the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus never died for angels, but he died for you. Jesus in this was referred to as the firstborn. You notice a couple times you see, uh, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world... So it references that. Um, one of the important things to know about the Bible is that when the, when the word firstborn was used, it did not always refer to the one who was literally born first. It was a title of rank. It was a title of honor because the firstborn was the one who received the inheritance and the special blessing. Remember you had Jacob and Esau, right? You know, get a little trickery going on there and, you know, say, I want to be, I want to receive that special blessing of the firstborn. And then after all that went down, 
you know, then, then uh, Esau's like, well, come on, Father, can't you, can't you go ahead and put a blessing on me, you know, like, and he's going, no, I've already done it. There was, there was this, this tradition, this established thing that the, the one who would end up being firstborn received an inheritance. That's an important word. Keep that in your brain, that the firstborn receives the inheritance. Now, I want to share with you a scripture that helps you understand that not always was the one who was born first described as the firstborn, nor someone who was not born first then could be described as firstborn. Psalm 89, verses 24 through 27, actually is referring to Solomon. This is what it says, My faithfulness and love will be with him, and through my name his horn will be exalted. I will extend his power to the sea and his right hand to the rivers. He will call to me, You are my Father, my God, the rock of my salvation. I will also make him my firstborn, greatest of the kings of the earth. If you looked at 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, Solomon was listed 10th in the official genealogy. 10th. But God describes him and says, I will make him the firstborn, title of rank and honor. It says, he will be the greatest. I'll make him to be the greatest, which in, in their Language would be understood as being the firstborn. So he describes says, hey, he'll be the firstborn. Jesus is described as being the firstborn. He was the firstborn of all creation. Why? Because he created all things. You need to go back and study in, in Genesis and see the Trinity. I mentioned that last week. You need to see the Trinity at work with the Spirit hovering over the waters. The Bible tells, says that everything was made through Christ. Um, but, but God the Father is the one who then, who then speaks Jesus is also the firstborn of all creation because he is the highest who, of all who came back from the dead. He, was the, he wasn't the first one who was ever raised from the dead, right? Because we see people in the Old Testament get raised from the dead. He's the first one ever kind of raises himself, right? Because, you know, I mean, Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down and I have the power to take it back up again. Now, you or I, you can try it. You know, I, it really doesn't work that way. I don't want to hang out with you because I don't want to be considered an accomplice. You know, when you go, hey, I'm going to see if I can lay my life down, take it back up. You know, I'll be glad to officiate the funeral for you. You know, we'll usher you right in to heaven's gates. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, and then verse 18 says this. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. You go, okay, all right, so there's firstborn of all creation. Verse 18 says, He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. We just said he wasn't the first one who was ever raised from the dead. We see, we see that in the Old Testament. But he was the one who became greatest, just as how God spoke of Solomon and said, I will make him my firstborn. Jesus became the firstborn. Why? So that he might come to have first place in everything, Colossians 1.18 says. Then we get down to verse 2. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I told you last week that I'm not going to milk everything that's in these verses because if I tried to do that, we would be on Hebrews the rest of the year. So you need to go back and read some of this stuff. There's some great stuff. Verse 9, you know, you've loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. You ought to, you ought to study that one out a little bit. Man, it's great. 
It's just some awesome stuff. So Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness more than his companions. Go, go study that one. But we're going to get to chapter 2 now. So chapter 2, the author reminds us that seeing how that Jesus is greater than the prophets and Jesus is greater than the angels because he is the Son, then we've got to be even more sincere in how we respond to the weight behind what Jesus says. He, he talks about the angels here a, a couple of verses in and says, hey, recognize this, that, that when the angels spoke and gave, gave words, if they said, you know, God says this is what's to happen, and if it doesn't, this is what's going to happen to you, and it says it would come true every time. And if the angels who are not the Son who are not part of the Godhead, if the angels speak these things and they come to pass, then how can we, how can we expect to escape if we neglect such a great salvation that Jesus Christ has put in front of us? We have to process this that Jesus speaks. We have to do so with sincerity because if not then we get what he says here. It's just such a subtle thing. He says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Why? Lest we drift away. Drifting away is a process that's it's slow and it's gentle. It doesn't happen immediately. It happens gradually. And at times, it's almost imperceptible. When I was, uh, when I was still a quality manager before moving over to the, to the plant management side, I used to tell people, I would teach my quality auditors about drift when it came to the idea of uh, measurement quality. Because what would happen a lot of times is you would have a, you'd have a specification on a, on a drawing, right, for a, for a part. And, and it says, hey, this, this hole in this is supposed to be one inch plus or minus 10 thousandths. And they would have one, it'd be like 11 thousandths, plus 11. Maybe it's plus 12. And they'd go, hey, you know, we looked and fit form and function. It's all good and it's okay. It'll work. And so maybe you'd make a decision sometimes. Looking at how something was used, you would say, hey, that'll be okay. It's not going to cause a problem. That'll be all right. Well, then two weeks later, you run it again. Nobody's fixed what the issue was, right? So it's still one inch plus 12 thousandths. And well, now, you know, it's worn a little bit through the run. Well, now it's one inch 13 thousandths. And somebody go, well, that's really close to what we approved the last time. I mean, it's only one thousandths difference. I mean, it's, it's nothing. You know, we're literally splitting hairs. And so we'll let that go. And you let that happen over a period of time. People, people start comparing. They're always comparing to the last time. They're not comparing back to the standard. And so eventually, all of a sudden, you're up to about an inch 25. And, and, and you get a call from a customer that says, Hey, this isn't working right. This, there's a problem. This is sloppy. It's loose. It's making a noise. We've got this issue. You're going, Guys, what happened? And they're looking back going, Man, it hadn't moved that much. I mean, we'll cut it. But then when you tracked it all the way back, you just saw this gradual drift away from the standard. That's right. And all of a sudden when it happened, people were like, They're shocked. Oh, my goodness. How did we get so far out of spec? Little by little, that's how. 
If it would have gone from we were running right on dead nominal, we were running an inch all the time, and, man, we weren't even using really any of the tolerance. We were, we were right on nominal. And then all of a sudden somebody came up and goes, hey, I got this, and it's, you know, standard's one inch plus or minus 10, and, and I've got one that's 25 thousandths off of nominal. We go, oh, hey, you need to fix that. But that gradual drift, hey, it keeps working, it keeps working, it keeps working, it's not a problem. Our spiritual lives get that way when we drift. And so this is the first time in Hebrews that we see our first warning. He says, the, 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 the sin and the disobedience, then catch this. He says, the sin and disobedience are going to get their just reward. He said, every transgression that angels have spoken and disobedience received a just reward. In other words, you got paid what you earned. What's the Bible said? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Yeah, so, so he says, hey, when angels shared a word that had come from God, every transgression and disobedience received that just reward. It says, then how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, by Jesus, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? Then the author takes it a step further and says, oh, by the way, in case you wondered about whether this was an accurate story or not, whether that what Jesus was saying was true or not, God the Father came and validated the message that was being given because he turned around and did magnificent works. He did these miraculous things. He worked through the Holy Spirit in order to provide validation. He bore witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So then we move from this affirmation that this is who Jesus is to an explanation. We get a look at the nature of, of God himself. And man, this is, this is, really, uh, this is really where... I, uh, I wanted us to, uh, to get around to. God, and, and when we look at verse, uh, verse 5 and 5 through 8 there, he's not talking about Jesus. I hope you catch this. This is a, this is a reference. Um, by the way, all these, when he, when he talks about, says, you know, it has been said or someone testified, he's making a reference to an Old Testament. He's making an Old Testament uh, connection. You can look up all of these. Some of them are in Psalms, some of them are in different places. But he says, um, he says, for he has not put the world uh, the, to come of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place saying, and he starts talking about mankind. What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the lower lowercase s, or the son of man, that's, that's all of us, that you take care of him. You've made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him, lower H, lower, lowercase h. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. This, this is important because recognizing the hierarchy that, that angels, in, in the hierarchy of spiritual things, angels are a little bit above what mankind was. Man was made just a little bit lower. You know, we're not a we're not a spirit in that sense at this point in time. Although we have a we have a spirit, they are entirely a spirit. But it's important in order to to grasp the gravity of these following statements, because Jesus then is going to be described 
as in coming down and also being made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. It's kind of an interesting thing. We're drawn to this idea, even though we don't realize it, because uh, the concept of servant leadership is something that we find to be intriguing. It's, it's the absolute highest level of implementation, right, of this, I, this idea of compassion. And So the God of the universe in the form of Jesus Christ became less than parts of his creation in order to save parts of his creation. TV shows are made about this. People watch this, uh, this show called Undercover Boss. You know, that, that was a real hit there for a while, right? You know, people watch that. Why? Because it was intriguing to folks. Two, two reasons. Two reasons, really. Some of you, because you wanted to see somebody get busted. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and be honest. Some of y'all were watching Undercover Boss because you were hoping somebody was going to act the fool and that boss was going to catch it. That's why some of y'all are watching. Some, it's the same reason some of y'all watch NASCAR. You watch for wrecks. That's all you do. You don't, you're not interested in what's happening in the pit. You don't care about the technology. You just want to see a pileup. As long as somebody doesn't get hurt real bad, you just want to see a pileup. You're probably the folks that as you're pulling by a wreck on the highway, you're rubbernecking is what my... Two words my, my mama used to, we used to laugh, we got tickled for years because some reason we were passing something and my, my mom got talking about people rubbernecking and gawking, <laughs> driving past an accident. Yeah, well, I wonder what happened, you know. It's like, pray for those people is what you need to be doing. So undercover boss, yeah, that, so, so one half of y'all, are, uh, you're, you're wanting to see somebody get busted. The other half of you, you think it's a cool idea that, that somebody is willing to step outside of the role and the authority that they have, go down to pretty much an entry-level position and experience that. Put themselves in subjection to other people's authority that they actually have authority over and get told to mop the floor and scrub this and clean that and do this and know you're doing it the wrong way, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? I like that idea, but consider that Jesus, who is within the Godhead, not only came down to to live as part of the creation, but he also died to redeem that same creation. So I, I uh, yesterday I was over here, and I'm going to do I'm going to do something I'm going to do something here. Yesterday I was over here, and and I was going through the last part of this again, and and I don't I don't listen to uh, I always listen to music while I'm studying. But I've learned I can't listen to music. You know, it's an important thing. This is it's one of those things like during altar calls and stuff like that. You don't you don't want stuff that, that people know, right? Not unless you're gonna not unless you're ready to sing. Because it distracts people, right? They start thinking about the song, you know, and and so when I'm studying I can't listen to instrumental music that I know the songs. Because if I do, it start my brain starts wanting to sing and think about it. And then I'm not paying it, and all of a sudden I have to go back and read something the second time and the third time because I'm going, yeah, I did not get that. And then finally I'm like, put it on something else. And, you know, and so, so I was sitting over here yesterday, and I got to this portion going back through the message again. And I had this music playing, and, and, and I was telling Michelle about it this morning. And I said, I said, man, I actually uh, I had to push away from the desk 
and I and I rocked back in my chair and I and I just teared up because as I was reading this and and music does stuff to me right it actually does to all of of us you know um, different types of music you know if it's that if it's some uh, you know corn or something like that you know it'll it'll make you angry right it'll make you you'll get all you'll get tense and you can't even help it. I mean, it, I've told y'all before, you know, when I first went to the plant where I'm at, and one of the guys would let them listen to music, not turned up real loud, but I, and he would be listening to that kind of stuff. And I started realizing, I don't know why I'm angry all the time. <laughs> and, and then I, I started trying to just pay attention to the environment. I was like, that's it. I, I can't even hear the words and stuff, but it's, it's just, it, ooh, you know, start making you tense and you're on edge and... I was like, y'all got earbuds only, man. Earbud. I don't care what you listen to on earbuds. As long as you talk nice to customers and, you know, but you can't be playing that stuff, man. You're making me angry. I'm, I'm over here just angry. Don't even know why I'm angry, you know. Somebody else, I'll go in some various, we'll play some in the plant, you know, and they'll be playing some stuff, and I'm like, hey, uh, you can, you know, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all that slow jam. And I'm like, y'all not going to get any work done today. It, nothing's going to happen back here, you know. People are going to be texting their spouses and stuff. <laughs> Girl, thinking about you, right? You know, I'm like, nope, you know, businesses target stuff, right? They put certain kinds of music on. It kind of helps you do certain things. So I was sitting listening to this stuff, and I started reading this, and, uh, and God just kind of put it on my heart. I said, you know what? I'm going I'm to let some of that play while I finish out the message today. So, so you're going to hear some of this kind of in the... In the background, Wendy's gonna, Wendy's gonna adjust me, you know, and and uh, she's she's getting some help from Caleb back there. Because then, when I started reading this scripture, and I started thinking through this, I was like, "Wow, you can give me a little more. You can give me a little more." So I was sitting there, I had my eyes closed. Yeah. I want you to kind of get a little, and I don't care, you know, as long as you don't fall asleep, you, I don't care if you sit here and you close your eyes and you just listen, and, but I'm, I'm going to get through the rest of this message, and I just, I'm going to have some of this play in here. How could God describe man in verses 5 through 8 as saying that all things are in subjection under his feet? Because he's talking about mankind. He's not talking about Jesus. About mankind, he says, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. It's a quote from Psalms 8, verses 4 through 6. I've never seen this in Scripture before, but I, I want to share it with you today. I, I just never made the connection. In the beginning, God gave mankind dominion over all creation. Over everything. But we can clearly see today that mankind is not exercising control over, over creation. We, 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 you can try, but we can't control fish. We can't control the fowl. We can't control animals themselves. I mean, I, you know, that's why I want to have a cat, right? You can tell a cat anything. A cat won't do it. One commentator said, man has a hard time controlling himself. 
But what we're experiencing today is a life that's far below the dominion over creation that we were originally intended to have forever. Sin, when it came into the world, not only created a gap, that chasm between us and God, it created a break in the dominion that we were supposed to have over the rest of creation. We lost our crown and we became slaves to sin. Jesus came, and this is what the Scripture says. This is the second half of verse 8. For in that he put all in subjection under him, lowercase h, this is us, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus. Who was made a little lower than the angels. Who else was made a little lower than the angels? All of mankind. Who was made a little lower than the angels. Why? For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Verse 7 in speaking about mankind, said, You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. We know that the Scripture tells us all have sinned and come short of what? The glory. You have crowned him. When God created us initially, we had dominion over all creation, and he crowned us with glory and honor, and we lost it. Sin broke that. Not just the gap between us and God, but between the position that God had placed us in creation. Because he said everything he had placed under mankind's feet. He said, but, but yet we are not seeing everything subject to mankind. But we see Jesus, who also was made a little lower than the angels. Why? That he could taste death. For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Let me help you with this dominion thing. I had never seen this. Jesus came, and in his form as a man, he retained the kingdom authority that mankind was originally given. He demonstrated authority over creation. Fish. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus tells them, he says, hey, we have to pay taxes and we don't have any money. Go down, throw a hook in, catch a fish, and the first fish that you pull up, open his mouth, and there will be a shekel inside his mouth. Take it and go pay our taxes. Jesus, you've never even thought about this, have you? Jesus was demonstrating the authority over the fish that we, mankind, was originally given. He's speaking to Peter, and he says, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times, but he says something won't happen before you do that. What was it he said would not happen before he denied him three times? The rooster was going to crow. Fish, fowl. That was a... 
in Luke chapter 5. Mark chapter 1 talks about Jesus being in the wilderness, and I never picked up on this statement. It's actually in the scripture says that he's in the wilderness with the wild beast. But we know that he never, he's not harmed by them or anything else. Why? Because he has dominion. Go catch a fish, get money out of his mouth. Rooster's not going to crow. Doesn't matter if the sun comes up, doesn't matter what happens. He's not going to crow until you deny me three times. Foul. Wild beasts. Says, yep, got them because I'm going to go out here in the wilderness all amongst them. They should be attacking him. They should kill him. They should be tracking him down, right? He's in the wilderness. They, wild beasts should be there. He says he's there with wild Nothing happens. What about domesticated type animals? Well, remember this. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, hey, uh, it's time. I'm going to go on this triumphal entry into the city, right? And he says, but go, and there's going to be a, a colt who has never been ridden. In other words, he's not broken. He's wild. He's buck wild. Should be a situation where now if Jesus tries to get on this colt who's never been broken, this thing ought to be kicking and throwing him off. And what happens? They go and they get the colt and they bring it. He sits on the cold and he rides into the city. All that dominion, he was demonstrating it across all of creation. The dominion that we were supposed to have. But got broken by sin. Jesus comes and not only pays our sin debt, he demonstrates everything that we were supposed to have. Dominion over creation. We were crowned with glory and honor, but we forsook it and became slaves to sin, and so Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. His perfect life, His death for our sins, resurrection for our new life, secured the return of the dominion that God gave us at the start. And if you don't believe that believers today share this kingly dominion, then I want to share with you Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. John, to the seven churches of Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is coming. From the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Priest to his God and Father, the glory and dominion are his forever and ever. Amen. When we read verse 9 and he says, But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. The grace, I made this note to myself, the grace of God provided for Jesus to become like us, become one of us, be the perfect one of us, so that he could taste death for all of us. In verse 10 I think it's perhaps one of the most underrated, unappreciated statements of the Bible. God found it fitting. God found it appropriate for Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing God's children to heaven to become the complete and adequate captain or pioneer of our salvation through humility and self-sacrifice and suffering. He says, for it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. There's two words 
that are used there, and I put them in the sermon notes, the, the Greek words there, the, the word ago, which is the A-G-O, it means to lead or bring. To take something or somebody with oneself somewhere. Catch this. He said, in bringing many sons to glory. Jesus didn't send you there. He isn't sending you there. He is taking you there with Him. And then, He described, it says, to make the captain of their salvation. Different, different translations. Some say founder. The word there, I put it also in your notes. It's actually pronounced arhegos. It means originator or founder. This one I kind of got excited about. It said, especially understood as someone having made a breakthrough in some area. A pioneer. You catch that. Jesus blazed a trail. Jesus made a breakthrough. Jesus broke through the, the, the walls that sin had put around us, had put around our lives, mankind who had been made just a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor, given dominion, lost all that, became slaves to sin. Jesus comes, lives his life perfectly, doing all of those things, dominion over everything, crowned with glory and honor in order that he could taste death. And in doing so, he brings you and I with him to go back to his father. He doesn't just give us a road map and say, this is where you can go. Just follow this to get there. Tell them I sent you. He says, no, go with me. I am bringing my sons and daughters to glory. And I am the pioneer. I've made the breakthrough. All the things that have you constrained, all the things that have you held in bondage, said, I am the one who breaks through. And then he goes on. And says, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. They have one Father. And says, for that reason, he, capital H, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them, us, brethren. And so he can speak to God and say, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in Him, speaking of God. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. We have been made joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. Verse 14, he says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood. He says, hey, all of mankind, they're all flesh and blood. They have no choice. They, they have to partake of that life says, He Himself likewise shared in the same. It's about there that I pushed back. I pushed back away from my desk. And I actually turned it up just a little bit. That was a, 
See, Wendy was with me. And I'm sitting there. I'll probably turn it up a little more than that, Wendy. I was, I was sitting right in there. Had the door open. It was right about the time that a bunch of y'all were texting uh, on this trip. You know, the ladies were coming. And so I just pushed my phone away because I was like, they ain't feeling Jesus right now. And I'm all up in this. And I just stopped and I was thinking. I'm lower than the angels are. But still crowned with glory and honor that in sin we we gave up and, and God's trying to restore that through Jesus. And so Jesus comes and he becomes lower than part of the creation than angels. And he's crowned with glory and honor, but he does all that. Why? So he can die. Inasmuch as the children have all partaken of this flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. This is when it hit me. That through death, he might destroy him. I want you to catch the, the words here. Who had the power of death. That is the devil. And release those who through fear of death. Satan had the power of death. We had the fear of death. And Jesus just came and destroyed it. God of the universe drops lower than the angels, demonstrates dominion, crowned with glory and honor, tastes death, becomes flesh and blood because all the children had that and so he did it too so that the one who had the power of death would be destroyed and so that we no longer had to have a fear of death. In fact, our fear of death, he says, for all their lifetime they were subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. He had to be made in all things like you and I. Why? That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. Let's pray. Father God, I, I, it's, it, it's so beyond my mind to comprehend Jesus' willingness to step out of heaven to place himself below even the angels on the level of mankind, part of the creation, 
in order to show us what we can be. To show us what you created us to be. Dominion, glory, honor. We couldn't die for our own sins, but we would have to. But Jesus, you came. Father, your son tasted death so that he could bring many sons to glory. And that the captain of our faith, the trailblazer, the breakthrough author, could be made perfect. Not because he was lacking, but so that he could completely and perfectly fulfill the requirements that the law had placed of the penalty for sin, and he perfected the payment. And so, God, I thank you. I pray that you will help us this week, that we will stop and we will think you came down. You came down. You became like us. You became one of us. The perfect one of us. Died for us so that you could save all of us. But you left it up to us then to receive. We have to choose. So God, I pray, help us. God, if there's a single one of us sitting here today that has not accepted this magnificent, unbelievable gift of salvation, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? God, I pray that you would help them to receive you now, to simply simply give their life to you completely, fully, with no reservation. But God, I pray that you will help us to see this statement of the gospel even indicated here in Hebrews chapter 2 and that we would go into this community and share the good news. How your life may seem like you got no control over everything, but God has demonstrated but God has shown. But God is prepared to live in you through Jesus Christ and restore that which the enemy has stolen. To prepare you for the time to come. Father, let us grasp the enormity of this passage. We pray and believe this in Jesus' name. The church together said, Amen. Amen.